The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Ian Morgan Cron, host of Typology, here in the Typology studio with my dear friend, Anthony Skinner. Hey, Ian. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I am here shimmying <laughs> to your new single, I Think We Could Be Friends. Yes. Now available on iTunes and Spotify. Woo-hoo, finally. We have been waiting a long time. Yes, we have. And the work is behind me, and it is out the door, and I'm super excited about it. A new Anthony Skinner EP. Woo! I think we could be friends, man. Yes. I love that song. Thanks, man. That's a big song right there. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, so how do people get this new single of yours, I Think We Could Be Friends? Yes. So it releases tomorrow, September 20, on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else music is being streamed or sold. And you can stay in touch with me on socials, via Instagram and Twitter, at Anthony Skinner. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, my website is anthonyskinner.com. And all of that is significant, as you know, Ian, because I am rolling new music out every month for the rest of this year and early next year. More music in October, a brand new Christmas EP in November that I'm really excited about. And then there'll be more of the same brand new music early next year in 2020. So the socials and the website will keep you up to date on all those releases. All right, so everybody, go check out Anthony's new single, I Think We Could Be Friends on iTunes or Spotify and you can check out all the things that he's doing anthonyskinner.com and at Anthony Skinner on his uh, social media world yes and thank you Ian for sharing that and also I know we don't want this to go by without saying it this goes out as a big thank you to all of our listeners as of this year 2019 we have had over four and a half million downloads of our typology podcast that is double double what we had before that's amazing yeah it really is so thank you to all of our listeners out there who make it possible and one of the things they can do to really help us and to help others find us Mm -hmm. is to go onto itunes and leave a review and it could be one sentence right it doesn't have to be you know you don't have to write the odyssey you just you could just write down hey i really dig this show you know whatever whatever you want to give it yeah but really leaving reviews actually uh helps people find yeah. our show it does and it would be terrifically helpful yes it is hey i am so excited today here on typology we have my good friend sarah jane case who if you don't know who she is which most of you probably will is the founder of Enneagram and Coffee, the Instagram account and podcast. Sarah Jane is a writer. She's a coach. She's a speaker. She's based in one of my favorite towns of the country, Asheville, North Carolina. Love Asheville. Right? Yes. What a cool cool. place. I love it too. She works with the Enneagram to teach self-love as well as to aid entrepreneurs in building a business that is not only profitable, but fun. (laughs) And you know why? Because she's a seven seven on the Enneagram. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And if you could all see her on my Skype screen right now, she is, she is sunny. (laughs) She is sunny. (laughs) 
That's She's right. looking happy, excited to be here. That's she right. even has a seven shirt on right now, doesn't she? Yep. That is all seven right there. <laughs> Sarah on. Jane, welcome to Typology. Oh my gosh, I've never laughed so much in the inter um, entering into a podcast before. I'm so pumped. <laughs> <laughs> we we gave you a good on ramp, didn't we? Yeah, you really did. I'm stoked. All right, how did you learn about the Enneagram, and how did you become the online presence of the Enneagram? And I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a four, and I want to... I'm pretty sure you did. <laughs> Continue. Uh, so I started... I learned about the Enneagram, just, you know, how we all do. A friend of mine was like, this is something you should explore. Have you thought about this? It's great for relationships. And I could not figure out my number. And so through that process, it was about two years of discovery of listening to every podcast, reading every book I could find, trying to really understand where I fit into this model. And through that, I was just, I just became obsessed. So I was, I was well obsessed with the Enneagram before I could even type myself. And, um, eventually I started to annoy all my friends and family talking about it. And they were like, can you create an outlet for this already? And so I got certified through integrative Enneagram and, um, and I started Enneagram and coffee and it just blew up. I had no, I thought my mom might follow it, but it turned out great. That's awesome. About 430,000 followers. Great. I might add. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And my mom, my mom is one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we like the loyalty of mom. I want to know, uh, two things. One is, you said, I wanted to figure out where do I fit in? And, and for some reason, I feel like there's something deeper in there than I just want to know my type. So what does it mean when you say, I wanted to know where I fit in? Well, I'd been on the self-discovery journey since I could remember, you know, I, I'd been in that. And so then when I found the Enneagram, I took, you know, a free test online. I typed as a two and I felt like I can see myself there a little bit, but it does it didn't quite do what my husband, who when he read four, he's a four, he was like, there, there I am, I'm known, I finally have something that gets me, we're moving on. Um, I felt like I don't see myself in the two in the way that I wanted to be seen, like he was seen. <clears throat> and so I, I read, read all the numbers. I remember that first day reading seven, and saying like, I'm, this feels like I'm reading my journal to myself. Mm. Um, but I was in a really high season of stress. And so I was showing up a lot more like a one, but the one motivations didn't relate. So there's just so many elements that didn't quite match me. Um, and so I, and I didn't quite trust my understanding of the seven to really commit to that. And so it took me a long, long time. Mm. So yeah. You know, this two year period between your introduction to the Enneagram and figuring out your number. I mean, can you tell me about what were the benefits of having two years uh, to figure out your number? And what was the downside? Because, like, for example, I can imagine a seven being incredibly impatient. (laughs) Right. Like, they'd be like, wait a minute. I, I you know. FOMO. My husband, Uh he knows what he is. My friends know what they are. What about me? You know, tell me about that. Yeah. So I think the sevenness of that was so interesting because I was, and I would just 
adamantly declare that I was a number for a season of time. Like I am the most one. And I would just talk about how much of a one I was. And then I would talk about how much of a nine I was and how much, you know, and it was like, all my friends were like, okay, like, like very impatient with me in that process. And then finally, when I found seven, I like, that was the one where I kept it really quiet. Um, mm. And so that was just, I was very impulsive. Like I'm just, I was just like, I'm this number, I'm this number. And just talking to everybody about it. And then um, with that number, I was like, oh, I'm going to sit with this one for a minute before I just like announce it to the world. And um, but the benefits of that was, it was just, I mean, I think it was the, the best thing that could have happened to me. Right. Because I could, I discovered so much about every number. Um, not only was I able to learn it as someone who was working with people as a coach, but I was also able to really digest, you know, which parts of me are each of the numbers, you know, which part of me is a four, which part of me is a nine and really live life like that for a little bit and explore that. And I think a lot of us don't get that opportunity. So I, I think it was a, it was a pleasure and a gift. Oh, well, that was my experience as well. And I say that as an encouragement often to our listeners, because it's so easy to give up or to think, oh, this system doesn't work or uh, it doesn't really, um, you know, it doesn't give me the answer in one simple little test. It's really going to be a journey. And I tell them, oh, but the journey is so worth it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that as a seven, um, you know, I can have, I can do this very like surface level understanding of self-awareness, right? Like this very, I know what I like. I know what I don't like. I know what I want. I know what I don't want. Um, but that like deep, why is all of this happening? What's going on? That was the journey. That was the gift in it was the ability to really digest it and like sit with it for a minute. Um, and I think that fours, right. You guys naturally appreciate that journey a little bit more. Um, and don't rush it as That's much as a lot of us do. <laughs> That's very true. I mean, we, we are, uh, you know, fours have as particularly self-preservation fours, we have a long suffering thing going on, you know, mm -hmm. but, but also the journey to a four is, you know, we are more about the journey than the destination. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're very, we're very uncomfortable in that liminal space. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the space of not yet, you know, not yet. All right. So I want to know about Sarah Jane, B-E and A-E, before the Enneagram <laughs> and after the Enneagram. I want to hear about your transformation. I want to hear both about the joys. And here you go, Sarah. You ready? The sorrows. Mm -hmm. and, and how for you <laughs> as a, as a <laughs> how you as a seven navigated the sorrows. Yeah. Oof. Um, okay. So before Enneagram... I lived life from a very like high vibration mindset. Um, mm. Like, oh, I, I love that. I love that <laughs> high vibration yeah, mindset. Wow. Yeah. And like anything that disrupted that high vibration needed to go, um, which mm. seems really great, you know, in theory, until you learn about being a seven and you're like, oh, this is this is actually a very well-developed coping mechanism that I've learned to not live with any, dis any discomfort or any um, negative emotions or negative experiences, um, not trudging through the difficulties in a relationship to get to the other side of that. Um, I think the Enneagram was the first thing that told me that's not maybe the best way for me. And I think that's the thing with the seven is it seems 
like, I think when I first read it, I was like, well, what's the problem? Like, of course, it's just positive thinking. Like, what's the problem? And, you know, in marriage, you learn really quickly um, that there's a, there's a need for sitting with that discomfort and that, that pain and that ability to not, you know, you can't always get what you want. Uh, I think for most of my life, I thought I can have anything I want. There's no limitations. And if anything's going to keep me from having all of the experiences I want to have, then it has to go. Um, but when you want things to stay, when you want to maintain something for a long period of time, that isn't always possible. And so the Enneagram was the first thing to kind of let me know that it's okay, that it's not actually a bad thing for these negative emotions to exist in my life. What's the worst negative emotion for you? Because it's different for everybody. What's the one that really grabs you? Ooh, um, things that are out of my control. Like if, like if people are hurting and I can't do anything about it, there's nothing I can do to fix it. If, um, if I just have to sit with the reality that there is pain in the world and there's nothing I can do, like I just have to be with that truth. Um, and then also being told what to do. (laughs) (laughs) So man, you hit on two really important things people need to know about sevens. One is they hate it when others place limitations on Mm -hmm. them because, uh, and you're right, right? Like I think the theme song is the old stone song. You can't, always get what you want that's what seven should listen to every single morning because mm-hmm. the the seven really wants to experience everything that's possible in life everything mm-hmm. that's new and stimulating and exciting and ple- you know just pleasurable mm-hmm. while rebelling against limits or restraints mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. i mean a, a seven is real sunny and fun until you tell them no <laughs> Right. <laughs> yep. And and I've seen I've seen full blown rage come out of a seven. Oh yeah. Uh, when you tell them no, you can't do that. That's mm-hmm. the motivations for that that you are running away from, mm-hmm. uh, and you don't want to face for that behavior or that way of being in the world. When you put that up to them and you hold that mirror up, they can get freaky on you. Mm-hmm. I think that was the thing for me. I remember a story you told on a podcast about your son and, and saying like there was a time where he had an idea of what he wanted to do and the rest of the family had an idea of what they wanted to do. And that's when you really see the darkness of a seven. And I think for me, that was a, that was a turning moment and understanding for me because I had thought sevens are just supposed to be always happy all the time. And the reality for me has been, I don't think that we, like, it feels completely possible that I could be happy all the time if everyone would just let me do whatever I wanted whenever I wanted to do it. Mm. And when things get in the way of that, that's when all that, the sadness and discomfort and um, you have to deal with the emotion of being held back, held back. Yeah, I put that in quotation marks. Um, But yeah, that's, you know, and so I was in a season of like trying to commit to a lot of things. And I was like, well, I don't feel very happy right now. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was, it was the acceptance that like my happiness was based off of being able to do whatever I wanted not, Mm -hmm. you know, sitting with the truth of life. Yes. The truth of life, which is, which is that, you know, I think for a seven, the the acceptance of the truth would is for me um, that relationships, like at the end of my life, I will want to have somebody there 
I won't want to have people around. And if I, which I have for most of my life, treat life as that I'm this person who's like journeying through life and I'm just popping in and out of other people's experiences. And then I'm my own, my solo traveler through the universe. Then I have to recognize that at the end of my life, I will be a solo traveler. Um, and I won't have that like learning, that growing, that developing that can happen in relationship. Sarah Jane, I can't thank you enough for saying that. That is so really so wise and self-aware and, and beautiful. I, I think in part because, you know, um, sevens, I think have a fundamental fear. If you had to boil it down and please, you know, tweak this, uh, because you're the authority on it being a seven, I, I think it's that I am afraid that, uh, when pain and suffering comes that I will be unsupported. There, there will be no mm. one there to walk with me. And uh, so it's all up to me to get what I need. And uh, I think what you're saying is, hey, I want to get to the end of my life and, and know and be with people who are going to support me mm-hmm. and be there for me. And I want to cultivate those relationships, which would, I think, in some ways mitigate the danger uh, that sevens face, which is, it's all up to me. I have to get take care of my own needs. And here's a word I would use. Mm-hmm. I have to deal with this ongoing gnawing sense of deprivation. Mm-hmm. Tell me, how does that strike you? The word deprivation? Yeah, the, the deprivation word, man, I feel that so intensely. Um, and I think that that is the thing that I've been like, that's the thing I'm running from is that feeling yes. of being deprived mm. is like that. I, and I see it in the tiniest things. Like I can't sit somewhere and do work without a beverage nearby because what if, you know, I can't, I can't not have what I could potentially need. Um, mm. and, and so I see it in the smallest things, but then I see it in the bigger things of like, well, what if, I don't experience everything that's out there in the universe. Like what if I don't experience it all? And I end my life and I look back and there are things that I didn't do. Um, That just lives in my brain. just constantly underlying every choice that I make. Mm. Can you tell me your subtype? Yeah, I'm a social. Okay. Can you just help people understand what a a social seven is? And you don't have to, uh, you know, uh, go into too much detail because, you know, subtypes is a fairly heavy thing, but they are mm-hmm. so important because mm-hmm. it, it gives you a level of distinction and clarity about your type that is so much more clear. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think I'm so glad you asked that because that, I think that is part of what took me so long on my journey is that I'm a counter type. So I look like a two and other people receive me like a two very, very often. Um, and But on the on the back end of that, it's very seven motivation, very seven fears. Um, and as a social seven, so basically I can appear, um, like I'm servant minded. I very much put myself last often. I might give someone, if I'm making two plates of food, I'll give them the larger one, um, out of just like a a rejection of the desire to have everything I want. It's almost like this com- combating that can happen where I feel like I, I should, I want everything that I want, but I feel guilty for that. So I push it away and I almost deprive myself intentionally. Um, mm. And so that can 
that can take like this funny, a funny form of that for me is that I got a mattress for myself once and I was so excited <laughs> about this new mattress that I had just bought and I didn't open it for months. I just left it there unopened for months because it was the anticipation of the mattress that I was so excited about rather than like the gratification of like opening it up and actually sleeping on it. And so I kind of like prolonged that joy. That's fantastic. And I want to encourage everybody, particularly those of you who are having trouble zeroing in on type, go to the subtypes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So often uh, of the time, it's in the subtypes that you're going to have the aha moment. Uh, Because there really are, golly, I hate to tell you this, folks, there are 27 (laughs) types. We, we suck you in by saying there's only nine, but, but the truth of the matter is there are 27. Mm-hmm. But boy, when you get down into the subtypes, you really get a level of clarity of, about each type. And I promise you that chances are the marble's going to fall through the, the little hole in the game and you're going to go, oh, there I am. That's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. So personality, part temperament, part disposition, uh, part cultural influence, but part story. Uh, so tell me, what was, do you think, in your childhood, in your developmental years, what was it? Were there, in, was there, mm, I, I'll be even more specific. We could say that our Enneagram type is a response to trauma. Mm-hmm. Tell me about where that, trauma, not getting what you needed, doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be, you know, physical abuse or anything like that. Tell me what the trauma was for you that you think probably helped form your type seven personality. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite things about being a seven is that I can talk about my darkness with a smile on my face. Um, like it's just casual. Um, (laughs) so for me, I mean, I went through I had a really intense childhood. Um, I had lots of, my mom had lots of marriages um, to lots of men who had, who were less than aware of their behavior patterns um, and made a lot of choices that were really harmful to my family and to me. And, um, and through that, I learned, you know, I had, I had a lot of brothers, some of which had like significant behavioral issues and, I learned that it's my job to keep everybody happy. It's my job to make sure that everyone feels like life is still fine. And, um, and I learned to take care of myself and at a very, very young age and just to make sure everyone else felt good. So what you did, and maybe, uh, I've heard a seven tell me this once uh, in reflecting on their own childhood, they said in response to everything I experienced, I created Neverland. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I heard, you know, I heard Richard Ward talk one time about, you know, soul child and and how, you know, as a five, you know, as a seven, your soul child's a five. And you're like, maybe you wanna you want to be alone, you know, you wanna be isolated, you wanna read your books, you wanna be introspective and, and curious. Um, but something along the way taught you that you couldn't be that. And, Mm. and for me, I learned that my family needed me to be the joy in our life. And I was the sunshine. And if I wasn't the sunshine, then what, there might not be sunshine in our home. And so I was the sunshine, you know, I figured it out and I figured out how to, to create warmth inside of myself. Mm. 
So um, you're doing a lot of work in the business realm and uh, yeah. entrepreneurship and things like that. Tell, tell folks what you're doing in that, that arena. Yeah. So I, you know, I spent the last three, four years um, helping business owners recover from burnout and prevent, prevent burnout and really work on how do they use their personality to build a business that actually works for them. I think a lot of times people get into business and they start following all these rules, like they're told how they should be, what they should know, how, you know, here's all these marketing laws, all these rules that you're supposed to follow. And you end up creating a business that you hate to run. And you wake up one day, burnout, tired, exhausted, and you're not having any fun. And so I, I tried for so many years to help people build a business based off of their personality. And then the Enneagram came into my life and, um, it taught me language to that, right? Like here's a lot more information to work with. So now I get to help people do that through the lens of the Enneagram. So you're coaching. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And can, uh, is it only for entrepreneurs and leaders or can folks just in general reach out to you and say, Hey, I want to spend an hour with you and just explore my type or, or help find my type. Mm -hmm. So at this point, I don't, I don't take one-on-ones, um, but I do have a membership community called club Enneagram for people who want to explore the Enneagram with me. Um, and then I have another community called the brave collective, which is all about creative inspiration and using your personality to produce more content and create more, um, work. Mm. Oh, that's, uh, that's pretty great. It's pretty, that's fun. pretty great. Okay. So I like what you said. You're trying to help people build businesses uh, that align with mm -hmm. their personality style, mm -hmm. ones in which, therefore, they experience a, a lot of joy. Mm -hmm. But isn't the Enneagram also not just about self-knowledge or self-improvement, but it's also about self-transcendence? Mm -hmm. So how, how do you help people, yeah, work within or keeping in mind their personality style, but do you also help them? to figure out what do I, how do I get over myself? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good question. So I think that, I think that through the work of understanding your strengths, understanding, um, the things that you've been unaware of the ways you've been operating without awareness. Um, I think that that's, you know, that's a stepping stone on the path to transcendence is just the understanding. Um, and so when it comes to things like productivity and creativity, I, you know, I teach people, how do you work with that? How do you harness that and really hone in on what you're doing um, and really use that to your asset? Um, and then for transcendence, you know, I, I think I view, I view the journey of the Enneagram as something that never stops. So I think I don't think of, I, I really don't see a destination point to this work. And so when I hear the, I think when I hear the word transcendence, I think there's an end um, and I think of it more as this is something that you will hold awareness for until you die. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is in itself, the transcendence of just holding the knowledge and making choices every day, um, that support your higher levels of health and, um, and really trying your best to operate outside of those coping mechanisms that you've learned. Yeah, I, I do too. I think it, it is an ongoing journey, but I'm always thinking to myself, how do I get over myself? Meaning the, uh, the tyranny of the ego, 
<laughs> like, like who's in charge here, mm-hmm. right? And is my personality in charge? Are the coping mechanisms and strategies that I developed as a child to cope in a world that felt unpredictable and chaotic and scary, are they in charge mm-hmm. in my life now as an adult? Or am I, in my essence, trying to live out of my essence, uh, is that developing human being uh, at the helm, if you will, not the the ego that lives just outside of my awareness, but, uh, you know, actually wields an incredible amount of power if I don't confront it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that that's, you know, I think a lot of the work that we do and it comes to, you know, creativity and productivity is, is acknowledging what might come up and then developing a plan for how you can show up differently than you have in the past. So um, as a seven, uh, I have this very strong temptation to create new income streams. I just love creating a new income stream. And so the awareness for me and the transcendence, right, is that moment where I'm able to say, I have this idea for an income stream. Is that the right move for me and my business right now? And knowing that that piece, that that step between that desire and the creation of that desire needs to be prolonged. It needs to be lengthened mm. out. And I probably mm. should talk to a six before I make any action steps. Someone who's going to help me really think it through. I love the fact that you're realizing that, you know, we need other types, other people mm-hmm. to uh, offset our, our blind spots and our deficits, right? Mm-hmm. Our, our, the places that we just don't have naturally the skill set to, to, you know, protect ourselves or to advance the program uh, and the errand, you know, that we have been called into the world to perform, uh, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, pretty mm-hmm. important. So, you know, with sevens that I've worked with before, the theme of forgiveness has been big. Mm-hmm. Um, they have usually a, a backlog of people uh, or things, circumstances in their lives that to move forward, they've had to go back to visit and forgive to be released from the, the limiting dimensions of walking around either with resentment or unacknowledged grief. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, oof. Um, I do this like little dance when the, when my, I get seven, I'm sevening out. Right. Where it's like, okay, yeah, we're going there. Okay, cool. Um, so for me, that looks like, you know, for, I think the first step for me has been acknowledging that I was ever angry acknowledging mm. that I, something bad ever happened. Um, you know, I, I met with someone several years ago who talked to me about my childhood and we were talking about, you know, I'm, I'm entering, I was entering into a marriage at that time. And I was like, I have a lot going on around this and I want to talk it out. And she was like, well, you have done a lot of work around the anger that you feel toward your stepdads in your life, but you've not done any toward, you haven't dealt with anything with your mom because I saw my mom as the one to be protected my whole life. And so that moment of realizing like, I didn't even think I had anything to be upset about. <laughs> my mom. I hadn't even acknowledged that once um, to get to the thing that I needed to forget for. So I think that that was the step first for me, but I think that you're right when you, 
I think it's very tempting as a seven to move on from relationships instead of actually forgiving people. Um, you just move on and you, you forget you, and you pretend like those feelings are gone, that those impacts have not been made. Um, and I think a lot of other people, they stick it out and they sit down and they talk it out and they figure out why things happened and they resolve them. And I think that's been the biggest lesson for me with my lovely four husband who wants to talk about everything. And he will sit there and talk, you know, we will talk it out. Um, that that's been my first kind of foray into like, we're going to stick into this and we're going to really figure out what's going on and, and move on from it and not move on from it as a, from a place of self-protection, but move on from it because we went through it. We learned, we forgave and we've moved on. So I think that every type has an unmet longing Mm-hmm. Um, or desire, and uh, for the seven, maybe we could put it as uh, not feeling whole mm-hmm. and uh, and solid or complete. Mm-hmm. So, for you, how has being married to a four helped you on that journey? Because you're, I mean, fours and sevens actually, people would go, "Oh, those are complete opposites," and it's like, ah, not really. There's mm-hmm. a lot of there's actually, as with every type, there there is some overlap. But how specifically has your being married to a four helped you on the journey towards satisfying the unmet longing for completeness, for solidness, and for wholeness? Mm. I think that for most of my life, I felt like I was on my own, even in relationship. Like, this is my life. Um, everything is, I'm on this journey alone. Anyone who comes into it comes into it for a moment. Um, and then they will, they move on and I keep going with him. Um, you know, he was the first one to be like, we're going to get really honest with each other and we're going to go into the depths of what we're feeling, what we're afraid of, what's causing, um, conflict in our life and, and what I want and what he want when that competes. And, and through that, we've been able to, I've been able to see what it can look like to have someone in my life who can look at the worst parts of me. I think as a seven, I'm very tempted to just be like sunshine to everybody and then go home and deal with my own sadness and then come back out and be sunshine, go home, deal with my own sadness. And, um, he is the first one who's like, I'm going to look at you and you're in your darkest and we're going to deal with it. Um, and I think that in that I've learned that I have to, treat my journey as, as not a solo experience. Isn't it awesome the way that, um, when we can see it, how we're not alone on the journey, that there really Mm -hmm. are people who can be there for us and help us to move forward if we allow it. So, Mm -hmm. I know that compassion and self-compassion are really big themes for you. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can pick up on it here, but I just want to hear you talk a little bit about the importance of compassion and self-compassion on the journey. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, I learned along this, along this path that it can be really tempting to approach growth as like, I should, I could, I need to, I need to fit myself into some kind of model or mold. Um, I should look more like, 
blank. Um, and what I've learned and what I hope to teach and I hope people take away from me is that through this, that we are never going to surpass our humanity. Like in our mm-hmm. life, we are human and that is part of being alive. And there's never going to be a time where I look back and I've met, I've met, I've made it to some point and I've surpassed my ability to be a human person. I'm a ro- you know, I'm a, I talk about it in business as like work robot, um, you know, in life, surpassing our humanity, surpassing our flaws. Um, and so I think in that process, we have to be so gentle. We have to be so gentle to like what we're learning, how we're going, when we fall short of what we think we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to operate, um, meeting that with compassion, because I think the moment we stop meeting ourselves with compassion is the moment we lose interest. You know, it's the moment we quit, fe- we quit feeling like it's possible um, to be better and learn and grow and, and move forward. Um, that's when it starts to turn into self-battery and, and um you know, self-manipulation. So I think that when we can hold compassion and, and soften that moment of falling short or feeling like things didn't work out the way we wanted them to, then we're able to move on through it much, much more quickly. Yeah. You know, this is such a big topic for me too, as a <laughs> therapist. Uh, and it's been as a four who, you know, what people don't realize about fours is they have a very strong one dimension. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that fours have a pretty harsh inner critic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's different, I think, I think, in, from the quality and the tone and the volume of the inner critic that the one has. <laughs> and it's really, it's different. The one, I think, um, is always kind of uh, responding to the inner critic um, and obeying it because they actually want to avoid uh, that thing beating them up. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, like they have, you know, they, their conscience is pretty, pretty, pretty sensitive. Mm-hmm. Right. Now for the four, the, the part of that is that, that when something doesn't meet their ideal, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and that be, can be problematic for the four because they get disappointed and then they become, you know, uh, a little, little crazy when they fall down mm-hmm. from the high side of one into the low side of one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because shame is such a big issue with, with fours, uh, mm-hmm. it's just gigantic and, uh, also abandonment. And so they can really get down on themselves for feeling like, you know, what, you know, what did I do? I'm not, I'm not good enough for etc. Right. There's a couple of resources and I'd love you to add to them. Uh, I like, there's some great books on self-compassion or people who, who teach self-compassion and you can hear it in their tone. And for me, most of them are Buddhists. Mm. And the reason, the reason I say this is I don't self-identify a, as a Buddhist, but I, I'm a big believer in learning wherever you can find it, right? So mm-hmm. I think about uh, Pema Chodron, C-H-O-D-R-O-N. I think about uh, Tara Brach, B-R-A-C-H. Uh, I think about Jack Cornfield, which is with a K, and Kristen Neff, who, of course, is a major researcher on the topic of self-compassion. Do you have a, a favorite book on that topic that would help people to read about compassion and self-compassion so they can take it with them on their Enneagram journey? Mm-hmm. I, what's interesting is you said, you know, you said Buddhism and um, and the first person I thought of was Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, yes. Oh, yes. He is amazing. Yeah, yeah. 
and I just encourage people that don't come from a Buddhist tradition who may feel a little weird about maybe moving outside of their uh, their their camp uh, to realize, you know, uh, we're not the only ones here who've learned something along the way. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. And go and find the truth where wherever it can be, you know, wherever it can be found, you know. Uh, so in in closing, I have two questions for you. Yeah. The first is, uh, have you yet to hear Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors' new record, Dragons? <laughs> Not yet, but I have to. Okay, have to. that's number one. That was my first question for you. Second is, uh, how do people learn more about what you're up to and all your socials and that stuff? Yeah, so I have the Instagram and the podcast, both are Enneagram and Coffee. And then um, if you're interested in Club Enneagram, it's clubenneagram.com. And I would love to hang out with any and all of you um, at any of those places. Awesome. I want to close with a quote, one of my favorite quotes of all time that I actually keep on my door, particularly when I'm writing and I'm feeling frustrated. And I think it's, uh, I think it's a good one for all types, but maybe for sevens. It's, it's from the Odyssey, Homer's Odyssey, and it's Odysseus, and he's out at sea, and he's on this journey home, you know, and uh, it's a long journey. And he has this great quote. He says, I will stay with it and endure through suffering hardship. And once the heaving sea has shaken my raft to pieces, then I will swim. I love it. Oh, that is so moving to me. Mm-hmm. And then I will swim. And I think for sevens, this idea of I will stay with it and endure through mm. suffering hardship. And once the heaving sea has shaken my raft to pieces, then I will swim. Mm. Sarah Jane, thank you for being on uh, Typology. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I really admire your work and I encourage everybody to go check it out. And uh, thanks for all you're doing in the world and for fulfilling the errand upon which you were sent here. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Typology listeners, Anthony Skinner singing, I think we could be friends. And remember the words of the great Oscar Wilde, be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. You like nothing on it I like it with chocolate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we could be friends You wake up to the dawn I like the shade strong
Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.